Oscar Poker. Just, uh, just for starters, there's obviously several topics about last night's um, uh, show, To, um, But I thought it was, no, overall, my general impression was it did not feel draggy or overlong. I thought Chris Rock did a uh, really superb job. I mean, I, I loved, he, he hit a uh, kind of a truth note. Uh, he, he touched bottom. He didn't just say, every, he said nothing, not everything is about racism or sexism. Sometimes... You know, there's the huge unfairness of Will Smith getting paid $20 million to, million to be in Wild Wild West. I mean, he was funny. Yeah. I thought he was really good. What do you think of him overall? Last year's Oscars were really... I mean, I love Neil Patrick Harris. I love him a lot. But but it, his his Oscar thing was really dry compared yeah. to... Um, yeah. I was bored during it. It was really, really just very... Chris Rock, when he came out, I mean, I'm still sitting way up at the top, you know? Mm -hmm. But he just brought the house... To, to its feet, you know, like everybody was alive and laughing and <clears throat> yeah. his, his voice and his presence were carrying all the way up to the rafters as opposed right. to Neil Patrick Harris, who I think is, is either more of a TV actor or, or more of an introvert. Chris Rock, because he's a comedian and because he knows he can play these big houses, yeah. really, really did just beam it out. And he was great. He had us from the minute he came out on stage. I never felt bored. I thought it was, I mean, well, granted, I didn't watch a lot of the show. <laughs> yeah, but, um, I missed a lot of it because I was walking around and. Listen, I just posted uh, uh, something about Sly. I want to just get into the why uh, Sylvester Stallone and why that was such a shock to everybody. And I um, and I incorporated what you had written me earlier this morning, and I also quoted a thing that Kyle Buchanan uh, posted on Vulture. Uh, to wit. He says that he wasn't, remember, he wasn't even nominated for a SAG Award in December. And while a few actors have still gone on to win an actor, Best Actor Award despite that snub, uh, these performers usually come from end-of-the-year movies that screen and peak much later in Oscar season. Then he adds, while industry observers touted Stallone's comeback narrative as irresistible, that's you, me, and everybody in the blog Rooney community, I kept talking, he says, to actual Hollywood insiders who weren't that enamored of Stallone as a person over his few decades in show business and consequently withheld their vote. A comeback narrative can only take you so far. If voters don't actually want to see you on, this, on that stage, you won't make it up the steps. What's your reaction to that? I think it's very astute. It's certainly not the first interpretation of that sort I've heard. You know, I tend to see the Oscars as sort of a... 
you know, it's, 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 <laughs> people do report on it like a sporting event and people in our business almost always say the same things when it's over. You hear and read the exact same take across mm-hmm. all journalists will cover this the same way. They'll all say that the only person I saw who addressed what I thought was the reason was uh, Lou Luminick at the New York post who, who addressed the Oscar so white thing. And I, I agree with him. I think that mm-hmm. there are enough Academy members, uh, the, you know, below the liners, not the snobs at the top, uh-huh. who who were invested in Sly. I could tell, like you could feel it around town. Um, as Ann Thompson would say, you know, even at the Oscars luncheon, he got the biggest applause. So there's a lot of love for him. It's not just the stupid snobs at the top who want to keep him out of their dumb little club. You know, it's uh-huh. more about he is a cultural phenomenon, and and there's no doubt that if he had taken the stage, he would have been. It would have been. It would have brought down the house. It would have been the best moment of the night. As it was, that was left then to Leo, I think, who had the biggest. Yeah, yeah. Biggest moment. I mean, I almost teared up when I saw him take this. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's I don't know. To watch, by the way, speaking of uh, being the people's choice, did you watch Michael Rappaport's reaction on that video? I did. I posted it. Actually. <laughs> I think it's so website. great. You know, I just think it's so. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so so which uh, not to belabor this, but you know, besides the Buchanan and besides the snobism and uh, um, what about the thing? Uh, did, was it Lou Luminick who who was the one who was mentioning that they, that people didn't want uh, to to vote for the only white guy in Creed? That yeah. maybe that was uh, would I say think... spend the wrong message or something? Is that what came from Lou or what? Well, I think it it you know the Oscar voters are if you're a smart publicist, you know that they they can be swayed by the tiniest bit of controversy or negative. Mm-hmm. So the second that the big short won the producers guild, um, it was the spin was put in motion immediately that it was an all white cast and that it would be the worst winner. <laughs> um, no, it was immediate. It was instant and it had to try to be debunked. But by the time that stuff gets out there, that same with Charlotte Rampling, like you just, these things are like, they will stop a winner if you can get them out there. That's why it's important to fly under the radar and have no one really pay attention to you. Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's how you can win. Like Spotlight, no one was ever going to attack it. It had it took some heat early on for being the front runner, but but it died down enough so that it, it then became the favorite after mm-hmm. people saw that there were three movies and only one of them had people they cared about. I think this is my moment to to say to you what, that I think when we did the podcast when I was in Santa Barbara, and I said if I hear the term uh, uh, preferential ballot, preferential ballot one more time, I'm going to scream. But I have to uh, give it to give it up. That's what happened. Yes, the spotlight, and you were right about the preferential ballot uh, dynamic, which is what I think kicked in. Could you explain it one more time to yeah. those who are not familiar I, with actually the, happy without, that, without getting into a big long thing? No, I'll, I'll tell you to it very simply. Um, right before I see, I knew it was going to be either big short or spotlight because of the preferential ballot, right there. The way that it works is it rewards films that have a broad base of support, not necessarily films that have passionate favorite. Like for instance, it might've been harder for a film like, uh, the departed to win on preferential ballot might've been, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you see this, the guild splitting up, if you see the SAG going to a different movie, sometimes it's harder to win that way. Um, because if it's a close race, 
you know, it, it, let's say the revenant came in with 50% of the ballots at number one, then you wouldn't even need a recount because it already had 50% of the mm -hmm. membership's votes. Mm -hmm. But it didn't, obviously, because it was a it was a crowded race. It was a competitive yeah. race. So it triggered a recount. And when you do that, the movies that are next on in line, let's say the first they make them into piles, eight piles. The the last pile is let's say Brooklyn, which has the lowest number of votes. They take Brooklyn number one choice off and they pick who that person's number two choice. Yeah. Right? And so I was wondering how is it gonna it it, it ended up in Big Short's favor for PGA, which was the only other preferential ballot in the race. Mm -hmm. But then Spotlight beat the Big Short at SAG, which wasn't preferential. Mm -hmm. And Revenant beat both at BAFTA and DGA, right? Yeah. So I think it probably came in number one, Revenant, number two, Spotlight, number three, Big Short. And then they started the recount. Yeah. And as they did that, Spotlight fared better as being a number two, a number three, a number four. Yeah. Like it was yeah. all the way up and down the right. ballot. Right. And where you're not saying the basic thing, which is that there was a lot of passion for Revenant, but there was also a lot of passion against Revenant. So it was yes. very strong for and against. It was not a uh, a middle or a middle of the road or like Spotlight. So therefore, that that was its undoing, basically. It was, and and that was sort of the argument as to what people were saying about Birdman, why Birdman wouldn't win. Um, but uh -huh. the reason that movie won is if you have PGA, DGA, SAG all united, it can't right. lose because it's already won on every ballot. But this year we had a three-way split, uh -huh. so it was close. It was a it was a too close to to call race. But yeah. I'm just glad that I I wasn't insane because I thought. There is no way this movie can win under this kind of ballot. With 51 negative reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, that shows that it has a lot of haters. And you heard from Academy members who actively hated the film. No, there's no way that kind of movie can win on a preferential because it's going to get either number ones or it's going to be either off their ballot entirely or like number eight. Now, I'd like you to give me an honest answer. What was your reaction as a Hillary supporter when Adam McKay uh, finished up his thank you uh, address by saying, if you want to stop ugly, rancid things from happening, don't vote for candidates who take uh, corporation and, and, and bank money. Yeah, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be back here on the planet Earth. <laughs> I don't care well, what he does, honestly. But he was he was basically saying a, a Bernie thing. He's a Bernie guy. He obviously. is a Bernie guy. He said in his interview that he would hold his nose and vote for Hillary if he had to, but he didn't want to. I mean, this shows you how much I love that movie, that I still love it, regardless. I, mean, <laughs> I don't love it because it's a Bernie movie, and I, I resent that people on the Bernie side have taken up this Wall Street thing and as it being their movie. Because I, I don't feel like... I don't even need to understand or care about Wall Street to like the way the movie is made. I just like the writing and the acting and the directing and the editing, everything I love about it. Yeah. But the, the Wall Street thing is important, and I do feel as angry as a Bernie supporter about it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. The difference between me and them is that I see it as a bigger problem that involves a lot more people than just pointing your finger and saying, you know, those guys over there are bad, and if we can just get them out, we'll have a happier yeah. system. I don't, right. And anyway, Hillary's getting the nomination, so there's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The... Um, <clears throat> what did you happen... Uh, what did you feel about um, Alicia Vikander, after all is said and done? She uh, 
you know, forgetting, I mean, where does the big thing come from? Because, you know, not a lot of people, uh, now that's all over, were really in love with the Danish girl. I certainly wasn't. I never, I, I thought the whole movie just had too much of a one-note quality. I thought Eddie Redmayne's performance was one-note. Yes, she was the one who stood out. People, But when you look back, I mean, I would have kind of preferred if Rooney Mara had won. I would have loved to see, I would have been cool with Kate Winslet. I just thought she was okay and, and, and better than Eddie. But I don't really see where the where the big passion came from for Alicia Vikander. He's fine. I just don't think she was great. You know what I really liked her in, of course, was Ex Machina. That was the one that, that made, it, made it really pop. So maybe it was a combination of a Danish girl and her robot performance in Ex Machina. Maybe that was it. I don't know. Yeah, I think they just fell in love with her every so often they do. I mean, who didn't fall in love with Alicia Vikander this last year? Like... You just don't see women like that very often. I mean, yeah. so isn't it is interesting that no matter wherever they go, Michael um, Fassbender makes a point of never sitting with her, never giving her a kiss, never holding. I mean, no, no, there is a picture. I just put it on Twitter. There's a picture of them kissing that I got last night. Yeah, it's on. Um, it's actually on my site. I posted a photo from the academy. Well, you would think maybe that they would sit together. Something. I don't know. Maybe they're just trying to keep it on the down low, but they're definitely. Yeah, that's what, I th- that's what I'm saying. I don't think. I think he's he's like very aware of the, you know, the paparazzi following up the the couples yeah. and the way they give little names to couples that are together. You know, they blend their name and, you know, the whole thing. He just doesn't. He just doesn't want to do it. So they make a make a point of really not being, uh, uh, you know, photographed at least very much in, yeah. in public. But you know? she's she's hot stuff. I mean, we haven't seen. I I, I can't remember the last time you saw someone come up. That was that, you know, desirable both to look at and talent-wise and intelligence and charisma and humility. Yeah. Like she has it all. She just, yeah. she her star is hugely on the rise. I don't know where it's going to go from here, but she can. She seems like she has, you know, a wide range of, of types of roles she can play. And yeah. and I think everybody just fell in love with her. I, I think they'd have picked her no matter what category she was in. You know, well, she couldn't beat Brie Larson. In best actress, probably, but um. I was thinking about uh, the when Inside Out won. I'm getting so tired and really, really actively disliking the the Pixar brand. Not because they don't make wonderful, very well realized, extremely smart and clever uh, animated films. I'm just so sick of them winning all the time. And I mm-hmm. really like to see, you know, a Charlie Kaufman, Animalisa like film. Uh, you know, pop out, but it's like their Pixar has so become the brand to to gravitate to when when they have something that's good that people don't seem to give it much thought. They just vote for the Pixar. No, that's right. Well, everybody loved Inside Out. I mean, come on, it won everything. It wasn't going to lose. There was no way it was going to lose. It was it was their movie about girls. Finally, you know, that was better yeah. than Brave. So, yeah. you know, that's the thing is like. It's our really. It's our fault and our problem that we're in this because we're the ones that see them win and win and win and win. So we get bored with it. But to the you know to the Oscar people, like this is just their one time to vote. And yeah. Um. So to them, it's not like an old. Right. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. Listen, I'm just glad it's all over with, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm happy to see Spotlight win. Although it's the first win. It's so weird how. Um, somebody posted on Facebook that in 1952, the greatest show on earth won best picture and best screenplay only. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing it has in common with spotlight is that they're both distributed by theater owners. Um, yeah. Spotlight is distributed by what's the name of the, 
Open Road is the distribution company, no, but they're okay. owned by a theater chain. Yeah, theater chain, and then the same thing with Greatest Show on Earth. It was also owned by a theater chain. Someone posted that as being a funny piece of trivia about the two movies. Yeah. And the thing I noticed with Spotlight was that I had done an experiment on Facebook when I was trying to figure out this. And, you know, I'm really happy to see that my efforts were not in vain. Everybody was kind of laughing at me and making fun of me that I wasn't accepting Revenant to win. And Yeah. And uh, Scott Feinberg, Pete Hammond, Steve Pond, Mm -hmm. all of them, you know. The only Mm -hmm. person who listened to me and believed me was Chris Tapley. He was the one who was like, yeah, it's not going to win, no way. But most people were like, it's going to win, just accept it. What are you doing? You know, you're one of them. Uh, But actually, you always said it was going to be Spotlight or Revenant. You weren't totally sure it was going to be Revenant. So um, I started, I really did. I have to be honest about this. I did capitulate. I did cave. I just gave up after uh, uh, DGA and BAFTA the same weekend. I just figured that's it. That's probably it. I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i not saying definitively that it was definitely, but I just didn't see any strong uh, rationale for believing that Spotlight would... I know. Would... It was, we were just kind of talking ourselves out of it because I kept hearing in my head, I told Chris this, I was like, we, we, t- we had all these conversations about Best Picture, and I kept saying to him, you know, I just keep hearing Spotlight, Spotlight, Spotlight in my head. And, and the only reason I didn't switch over was because of the Producers Guild. And the thing was, was that I didn't want to switch over and then be wrong. Like that, being wrong about Spotlight would have been, is less horrible than if I had stuck with Big Short all that time and then dumped it at the last minute. (laughs) Actually, Greg Elwood did that with Spotlight. He was so bummed because he had been (laughs) predicting it all along and then at the very last minute he switched. (laughs) So, but... (laughs) Um, but but I did an experiment with with my friend Craig, and we I asked all my Facebook friends to rank the movies. First, I had yeah. just the three movies. Mm-hmm. Then I had all the eight movies, and I had about three hundred people responding. And they were like some people I knew, some people I didn't know, a very you know cross section. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time Spotlight won with just three movies, and the second time Mad Max won. But when we took out Mad Max, Spotlight won by a huge margin. Okay. So we were like, there's something happening here. And I mm-hmm. looked closer at the ballots, and what I noticed was that while Spotlight wasn't always a number one movie, and mm-hmm. in fact, most of the time it wasn't, right. it really did pick up from mm-hmm. Revenant voters. All the Revenant people had Spotlight high on their ballot. Yeah. And uh, Brooklyn and Room, like it just, right. there wasn't a single ballot where Spotlight wasn't on it at the top, near the top. So, you know, in the past, I want to talk about the. Inuritu, they tried to play Inuritu off as he was making a statement about for diversity and yeah, people. Yeah, they felt. sure did, didn't they? That was awkward. And I thought that was, but I was admiring of him, the way uh, some people, when they start to get played off, they hurry up. They, they pick up the pace and just blurt out what they have to say as quickly as possible so they won't have to endure the, you know, the humiliation in a sense of, of being played off. He did not budge. He just kept talking in the same pace this is this is a man of character. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to even acknowledge you. I'm just going to keep talking. I'm going to say what I hear came yeah. to say. I just can't and, believe that they would play off a director who just won back to back, made history at the Academy. That they would even. I mean, it, it started almost immediately, like 30 seconds into his speech. Yeah. I thought, why are they doing that? Like in the audience, it was just you know everybody was sitting there going like, ah, oh, shut up, so we can hear him. You know, the music. He, was he told high. Pete Hammond at the Governor's Ball last night, "quote I hadn't even used all my time when they started to play me off." It was yeah. astonishing. I know. And, and then Pete uh, talks to uh, Reginald Hudlin, uh, the, who's the produce, co-producer of the event, and he says, "So what? What happened there?" And he says, "Well, it was just one mistake in a three and a half hour show." 
Oh, um, okay. So it was a mistake. Well, that's that's better than it being on purpose. But you can remember when people have begun to be played off, and then the, and then for whatever reason, the uh, the orchestra conductor senses it. Okay, let's just stop. Let, yeah. let them finish. They've done that, but they just kept playing. I mean, what's wrong with them? Do they are they able to hear or? Are they, they're talking to the producers, and all the producers have to say, look, just drop it. Let them go. Let them go. Just stop I it. But I they know... did. They kept playing. It was astonishing. All I know is that they were so worried about their ratings, and their ratings did indeed drop, like the lowest in six years, I guess, is what, what it finally came out as. Um, so they knew their ratings were going to be bad, and I think that they were just a little scared. But, boy, it's, a, it's unfortunate that the ratings were bad because – it was a good show. It was actually one of the few entertaining Oscar shows I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, I think it's a broken system that, that isn't thriving. I don't feel that the Oscars are thriving. I feel that they're dying. And I don't know why, and I don't know how to fix it, but that's what I observe from where I sit, from watching them. But from the time when people were actually interested and engaged in the movies to it becoming like more of a... A niche market and a niche uh, community of people who watch these movies and, and are interested in the Oscar race and um, a year like this one doesn't help because the publicity around it just basically tells everybody they're you know a bunch of racists when actually if you look a little closer you'll see that that wasn't the case at all like there were so many movies in the short categories the foreign film categories the documentaries that were all about you know different areas of culture different people of color um, the Martian had and Mad Max were both wildly diverse. All of the people who won from Mad Max last night were women, most of them. Yeah. So I think that I think they got a bad rap. And I think that I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that that I don't think it was a bad rap. I do think it was. I think it was a controversy clickbait thing. And I think it did nothing to help, you know, bring them into the a broader awareness. And, and wouldn't it be great if all that stuff you're talking about, sophisticated films could be brought to a larger audience, could help to educate people, could change their tastes, could could do to this gen these generations what movies did to us and our generations where you'd wait in line for hours to see the new David Lynch movie, you know, and you'd walk out going, what the fuck was that? You know, and you'd think about it and you'd talk about it and wouldn't it be great if movies still had that place in our culture, you know? And the Oscars could bring them in, it could, but but they're not because they're feeding people the same people exactly what they want, and that's the problem: is that they're not opening up enough doors. I don't think, but um, they just open up a bunch of doors by getting rid of the uh, of the older membership, uh, at least in terms of their voting uh, privileges. I mean, that's what just happens. So, what don't you think that's going to make a difference? Well, it won't happen till twenty twenty, so that's a ways off. But um, four years it's going to take to get rid of the deadwood. I guess I so. I think that's what they said, yeah. And I think they'll fight it. I don't think that they will eventually get rid of. But, you know, walking around the Oscars yesterday, I was looking around, and this happens to me every time I spend any time with them, as I was thinking, first of all, there's no way this crowd is going for The Revenant. There's just no way. It's a miracle that it won what it did, you know. Um, there's just no way. That movie's way too intense and confusing for, for your average voter. Um, even though it did get 12 nominations, I think a lot of those were just an appreciation of its craft, you know. But um, but there were also a crowd that you could see would love Spotlight. Spotlight is one of those movies that you can sit anybody in down in front of it, 
and the, the majority of them are going to come away liking it or loving it. No one's going to ever hate Spotlight. You know, I would say in history, since you're you're taking it away from the uh, from the from the coarsening of, of taste and, and the, the the coarsening of culture, which has been inexorably uh, uh, happening bit by bit over the last 20, 25 years since, since around 1990, the amusement park theme park aesthetic became more and more of a, a big thing. Now it's like the, the the majors are completely out of the business of making, uh, you know, the quality movies that are going to last, are going to mean something to people. Uh, there's a, um, you know, if you look at what was very popular, say back in the thirties, forties, fifties, and the ones that won the awards, the ones that we think of now with great fondness, you know, there's a lot of them, a good significant portion of them that, uh, were not box office hits, but we think of them very fondly and respect them enormously in film festivals and on TCM and so on, but they weren't necessarily the big hits. So you can't just say if it's... No, if, they were. I've done box office tracings of, of past generations and comparing them to Best Picture, and, and they absolutely were top moneymakers that won. It's just that people were... They had the movies only back then. They didn't have television in competition with, with the Internet, for God's sake. The Internet on its own is huge competition. Now you're going to tell me that every single Oscar winner and award winner and films that we now regard with great fondness and great respect are, were all box office hits, you're telling me. Well, no, but if you read Oscar history, you'll see that, that success at the box office was one of the requirements for a movie to do well at the Oscars. It was very unusual to have a box office failure or even a box office, like, for instance, The Hurt Locker or whatever, which made $12 yeah. million. Um, yeah. uh, You just didn't see that because the studios controlled the Oscars then, yeah. and they kind of control them now. But um, but it's less so now than it used to be. But, yeah, the, the, the Fincher calls them the five families. They were, you know, they yeah. had their stranglehold on the Oscars, and the whole point back then was to, to make money, to sell movies to audiences that was the whole point of making movies back then you know what what how much money can i make off of this movie like that how, how much money do my stars bring in okay i'll contract them for a week you know for on a weekly salary because their box office draws people like may west and um uh humphrey bogart and katherine hepburn and you know these they were all box office draws they just their name alone sold the movies and that's another thing I've seen change over the last um, few uh, decades is that that is changing, especially for women, that name um, notoriety. There's like Jennifer Lawrence, there's Meryl Streep, and there's Leo DiCaprio, but there, but there aren't as many stars that can bring people in the way that they used to. The movies seem to bring people in is what it is. I mean, it, it seems it helps somewhat to have a marquee name or two. It, it certainly seems to doom a film to... Uh, to obscurity if there's no name value at all. But it doesn't seem to be that much of a guarantor of anything other than just initial interest. Yeah. And if the movie's got it, it's got it. It's going to take off. And people find out pretty damn quickly, within hours or a couple of days. But, yeah. you know. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I was happy to see a lot of big studio movies do well this year. The Martian was one. It was really great, I thought. And, and uh, The Revenant was another big studio experimental art film that made $160 million. That's incredible. Um, so Bridge of Spies from Disney, like every studio had a, a film represented this year, Warner Brothers, Fox, yeah. you know. So in some ways, it's funny that an independent one, which was yeah. Open Road, which I didn't think was going to happen because of that, but they didn't care by the end because it was still the movie 
about heroes, you know, and the other ones weren't, they're more complicated, but, um, yeah, yeah. but I think it's, uh, it's less, I had a meeting recently with a guy who's a kind of a prominent person in Hollywood and we were talking and he was saying how Oscars, he's like, they don't really care anymore if they reach the broader public. They don't really care if they're um, plugged in or tuned in. He's like, what they do is they use it this, I think I told you this before, they use it the same way McDonald's uses their salad options. It's because if people have sort of an idea that the McDonald's offers salads and they know that they're healthy, they're more inclined to buy their products. They're more, yeah. their, their fast food sales go way up for the fast yeah. food, not for the salads. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that they offer the salads makes people feel good about them. So he was saying just the fact that we have the Oscars that honor these little art films that nobody sees makes the business of Hollywood look good, makes Hollywood look good, so people are more willing to spend money to buy their products. Manchester by the Sea is not a little art film that people are not going to see, but I'll tell you, between yourself and Ann Thompson, who immediately said it's probably not going to be that much of a uh, you know public interest, it's not going to be that high to see a movie like this. Well, I didn't say anything about that. I put it down on my contender tracker, which I just put up. I put up two movies. I put up... Um, Manchester by the Sea, and I put up Casey Affleck as best actor. Yeah. And I put up Birth of a Nation, and and um, which I haven't seen. Neither of them I've seen. I mean, I have them on there. I'm just telling you, their unwillingness to embrace Beasts of No Nation just because it was Netflix was was a, a dick punch. You know what I mean? So I would be. I think people understood and got a lesson from that, and that's why I think Amazon is, is wisely going to not do a day and date. They're going to make sure that people understand it's clearly going to have its own theatrical thing. I think three months would be completely within the realm. I think most films, not most, a good portion of films are out on day, are out on uh, streaming within three months anyway. It's more, what, some films wait six months. But, you know, it's not that, they're going to, they're aware of that dynamic. I don't think people want to repeat that if they're smart. So. Yeah. By the way, I spoke to some two significant people one is a head of a distribution company. This is at the Spirit Awards. And also another person whom you know who is uh, very highly placed within a very uh, uh, popular and, and influential film festival that happens in the early fall. That's as much far as I'll go. And they both said to me that you're completely right. And that was, I completely agreed with you about uh, The Birth of a Nation. It's, a, it's an Ed Zwick film. <laughs> and, and they, you know, it's it's just not going to be this. It's going to make money. It's going to uh, push a button that a lot of people want to see. The myth of revolt, the, a Spartacus revolt, revolt in the South in the 1830s, that is something that people want to see, period. So, but it's... Well, you know, it's it, doesn't, not, it doesn't really matter. I mean, okay, so it's an Ed Zwick movie, but the way that I do the contender tracker isn't so much movies I think are good. Um, it's movies that are that have any sort of buzz whatsoever. So the fact that it won a prize at Sundance puts it on the list, you know. Sure. Um, just yeah. like I had to put Les Mis on the list when I thought it was a terrible movie, just a terrible, terrible movie. So I've seen bad. No, movies. it's not a bad analogy, Les Mis. You know, it's um, that was very highly touted. You may recall immediately after playing at the New York Film Festival, and then reality began to set in bit and bit, you know, a bit more. Now, all I would have said about that was that it couldn't win. The same way with Revenant. I felt the same way about Revenant as I did with Les Mis. It was an interesting movie that a lot of people loved yeah. or hated, but that doesn't mean it's going to win. Right. 
It couldn't win because it's yeah, just yeah. too divisive. But, okay. you know, Birth of a Nation's going to get some attention. You know it will because of the whole... Uh, I mean, I think what you're going to see, what you always see with these things, because I've been... Like, I'm not going to say it again because I'm a broken record, but you know how long I've been writing about this shit for diversity in the Oscars. And what happens is things bubble up, people get all upset, there's big controversy. Um, the next time, the next year, you know, they... they nominate black actors black actors win oscars and then the whole thing dies down and things go back to quote-unquote normal and then it cycles around again this is like what like the third or fourth cycle of this so i would imagine well you know it's like all social change you know it, it, you kind of inch forward a little bit and then you kind yeah. of backslide but then right. you inch forward again and you know it gradually right. you know, evolves it gradually moves ahead it's not it's not to be one clean dramatic push surge yeah. for it. everybody's gonna jump up and yell how wonderful it is it, it happens in increments that's right that's right i agree with that um so i think that but i do think that there's going to be special attention paid so that this doesn't happen again and mm -hmm. i don't know what movies those are going to be but i i do think that they're going to keep a lookout like if if somebody had been able to flash forward and show these voters what was about to happen i tried to do it but i don't nobody reads me enough but i did say like if you know what a if they can nominate just one of these movies, it'll prevent that controversy bubbling up, you know. Um, mm. And the movies were good enough to be recognized anyway, but that... What you're saying is that The Birth of a Nation is going to get a Best Picture nomination. I don't know <laughs> if it will or not. I don't know. I'm just saying that if it turns out to be the only film directed by a black director with black actors that's anywhere near the Oscar race, there's no way they're going to ignore that movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. No way. I, yeah. But if there's a bunch of them, then the choices are more open. But but they're not going to do this again. There's no way they'll do this. Mm -hmm. again. Right. Okay. On that note, we've we've got it. I think we've gone okay. for like the better part of 45 minutes. That's good. So okay. we can trim this down to something that'll sound okay. Yep. And what's next for us? What are we? What month is this? This is February. So now we get you get to go to Vietnam, right? Yep. And I I'm posting my rundown of all the uh, significant-looking uh, 2016 films. I, I've, I've pretty much refined it and got it down to a pretty interesting rundown. I'm going to post that in a couple of hours. Oh, you know, we didn't talk about the, the horrible Callum Marsh thing. Should we bother with that or just skip it? Uh, no, let's, let's br briefly uh, talk about it. Uh, Kayla Marsh uh, wanted to interview a couple of people, yourself and myself. I don't, know, I don't think he talked to anybody else, to my knowledge. About you know how we you know drive the the Oscar business and 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 the Oscar narrative, if you will. I think we we do to some extent. At least we start conversations, whether people agree with them or want to pick out. You know, they listen to the conversation openers, and uh, you know further push them along and all that kind of thing, which seemed fair enough. And he seems like a pretty mild mannered fellow. And uh, you know he's he had said to you that. He uh, liked me as, as being fair and like giving him credit for his pieces in the past and linking and everything. And then he turns around, basically, it's his editor. But the, the, the underlying thing is that it was, you know, why are these people who are troublemakers, who's uh, like someone like myself who gets picked on by Twitter for this, that, and the other thing, and none of these things really hold water when you look at them. But, but it was basically the, the narrative was, 
why is that? Why are these people doing relatively well? Why are they making six figures? Why they, well, you know, here we are toiling away, serious journalists in the Toronto Globe and Mail, you know, banging it out, newsroom, the whole traditional, you know, spotlight thing. And these guys are kind of doing better in a way, and they're getting more attention and they're more influential. What the fuck is this? Let's take them down a couple of things. It seems to me that was a, something like that, right? What the fuck is this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's um. The first article that anybody ever wrote about me like that was actually Pete Hammond wrote it, and it was back in 2000, and it was about me and Chris Tapley and a few other um, self-made bloggers or whatever. They weren't called bloggers back then when we started. There weren't blogs, so yeah. it was called, like, you know, Oscar pundits. I don't even know what they called us, but they didn't know what to say because we basically invented our job, which yeah. was writing about the Oscars. I mean, Chris yeah. and I, Chris actually went back and got a master's in journalism and now he works at Variety and I think they sort of see him now as a legit journalist. Mm -hmm. But um, but they certainly don't see me as that and I'm fine with that. I don't call myself a journalist. I wouldn't... I wish you'd stop saying that. You are a journalist. You're a, you're an essayist. You run a site. You're just as much in the game as anybody else. Stop stop saying you're not a journalist. But you I are a journalist. The journalists, you know, like, like this guy just proved to me, like, I, you know, they have to... They just there's something untrustworthy about them fundamentally because they're always going to look for the story. The story always comes first, and, and that's fine. I'm just not that person. I could never be the person where the story comes first. I always have other considerations, yeah. and I will protect people and you know right. try to work within my own framework. But um, but I, I was a little surprised by it too. Although I've had those hit pieces in the past, I've I've certainly had my share of them, and, and I always vow never to do it again. Never talk to somebody about this. Never ever. And a friend of mine came up to me and she said, you know, I was really upset by that article and I unfriended that writer and, you know, I just thought that was really mean and just weird to ask Glenn Kenny of all people when everybody knows that he... Yeah, he knew that was... He just wanted a negative reaction, period. That's that's the only way reason he went to Glenn, Because so. Glenn makes it as... Takes time out of his busy day to listen to our podcast and then talk about us on Twitter. You know, he, they all have their little hate club and it's so much fun for them and, you know... I guess it's fun. I mean, they're disgusted. They would love to see us dead, you know, I guess. But, you know, what a huge waste of time all of that is, I think. Uh, surely there's better ways that Glenn Kenny could be spending his time than obsessing on the two of us. Yeah. So I had to block him on Twitter, but he's every once in a while, one of his mean tweets still gets through. Yeah. Or people will write me and say, did you see what Glenn wrote? And I say, no, I don't follow him. So, or... Yeah. Mm -hmm. But my my main criticism is he didn't get the opposing view. Like there there are so many journalists who would have come in and, you know, Anne Hornaday being one of them, or you know, there are others who would Owen Gleiberman, yeah. Owen Gleiberman, you know, who would Todd McCarthy, who would have said mm -hmm. positive things, you know. So it makes yeah. it seem he had to follow his lead of they're loathed, and so yeah. he had to find the one person who really does loathe. Yeah both of us and yeah. i'm sure there are others you know, everybody you know you can't be prominent without being loathed someone somewhere is going to hate you especially if you have yeah. a point of view about anything um all right. all right so we're gonna uh so you're gonna stop watching movies now for the next three four months or what are you gonna do are you just gonna keep we're gonna keep doing this or we're we gonna stop what's, no what's i don't the... i think let's at least take a break we gotta go to vietnam i'm driving across <laughs> the country let's okay. just chill Okay. <laughs> All right. And pick it back up later. And, and if I'm not going to Cannes, we'll definitely have to do it while you're there so we can do daily dispatches and stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Have a good day. Okay. You too. I'll talk Bye. to you later.
You've been listening to episode 125 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. We'll be back soon with another episode. The bumper music was Bad Reputation by Joan Jett and Away with Murder by Camera Obscura. Thanks for listening. It's been hard to be strong